My name's Keith Reed. I'm the associate pastor here at Jericho Ridge. And to my left, to your right, is Pastor Brad Sumner, our lead pastor. And you may have noticed a, a journal on your seats this morning, or you might have grabbed one at the Welcome Center. This is for our new series, which is focused on prayer. And this journal is a guide for you not only on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week. There are, uh, there's a section for sermon notes, which hopefully you can turn to today and jot down questions that you might have and inquiries to, to follow up on. And then if you're connected in a small group, our life groups, uh, some of our life groups are looking at the sermon series that we're currently in. And so there's a section for you to make notes on that and then talk with your small group later on in the week. There's also a section for daily Bible reading, which we would encourage you to go through in the upcoming weeks, and then also a prayer calendar. And our hope there is that every day as you flip through the calendar, there's an individual or a family unit that's listed, and we hope that you would pray for those people. And if you're bold enough, perhaps to give them a phone call or an email to see how you can partner with them in prayer. But uh, today we are starting our six-week series focused on prayer, and sometimes I get people who ask me, well, Keith, like, how do you and Brad figure out what to teach on? There's so much to teach on. Do you flip a coin? Do you use darts at a, at a dartboard? Like, what, what sort of process do you use? Do you have a, some churches will have a kind of a grid of all different sort of, of topics that they think, well, we want to cyclically make sure that every three years we don't leave out this topic, so we're going to teach on it. And so I just thought I'd, I'd start off this morning by saying that typically Pastor Brad and I go away one day a month, and we get out of the office and we go on a prayer and planning retreat, and so we pray for, pray for our congregation and people that we know who are in need and have asked for prayers, and then we start to think, well, what sort of things have we been reading? What's God been putting on our hearts? What are questions we hear people asking? And we start to think what that might look like for a future teaching series. And so we've settled on this actually for quite some time, probably spring, late spring, Earlier this year, we thought we want to do a series focused on prayer. And so this morning's format, as you can see, is a little bit different. It's not a traditional uh, sermon, per se, as far as one individual preaching to the congregation. Both Brad and I are going to have a bit of a conversation, and we're also going to open it up for people to submit questions. And we've done this before, and so depending on what your familiarity and comfortability is with using media, uh, you can take a number of different steps. We have a Twitter account, and for those of you who have a Twitter account, which you do need in order to do this, otherwise you're going to be very frustrated that we never get this message. If you simply write at Jericho Ridge in your Twitter feed, that will show up on our Twitter account, and Brad has his computer right here, and so we're going to get your question. So you can, you can do that as one way. If you don't have Twitter, or if you'd like it to be perhaps a bit more personal to either Brad or I, you can email us. There's our two email addresses on the screen. You can email both of us or just one of us. And uh, we're not quite sure if we can get to your question today, but hopefully later on in the week we'll have time to address that. And if you want to go old school, we have some index cards. And so they're, are, they're located back on each of the coffee tables. You can find one there. And also, um, I think, believe there's some in the aisles as well. So there, there should be some way you can locate that. And if you need to borrow a pen from someone, feel free to ask for that. And I think we'll call the ushers forward maybe halfway through our teaching time to see if they can submit it that way. So Twitter, email, and index cards is how you can submit questions. And of course, conversations later on while we have our luncheon are certainly welcomed as well. So to begin with, um, Brad, why don't we talk about the series as a whole? Why prayer? And why now? Why did we choose to focus on prayer for this time in the life of our church? Yeah. Well, I think part of it is uh, tied to um, probably my, my personal history, both recently and then stretching back a little bit further. Uh, I grew up in a home where my parents weren't Christians when I was young. And so uh, they came to faith in my uh, elementary age uh, years. And so they were a little bit um, nervous about teaching us anything about prayer. So anything we found out about prayer, we found out from other sources in our lives. And I realized as I grew up that I had to actually unlearn a lot of things that I learned or I thought I learned about prayer uh, growing up. And so there's just a number of kind of things that, that percolated in my mind about that. One was thinking about, you know, for those of us who are parents teaching our kids how to pray, 
And I know you guys did a, a pragmatics uh, event last year with Ruth Ellen and, and yourself, Keith, teaching parents and helping us come to an understanding of how we can pray with our kids. And I thought, you know what, I, I want to teach my kids to pray in such a way that they have to unlearn less than I had to unlearn or relearn less than I had to learn growing up. And so there's an intentionality that I feel about it in my life. It's also, it's a growth area for me, um, and it's been a growth area for a long time. I'm kind of, if I have time set aside that I'm going to, uh, to spend with God and getting to know him more, I'm a reader. So I'm way more gravitated towards reading uh, a scripture text, reading a book, uh, anything like that. So in that time that I usually carve out first thing in the morning, I'm, usually I'm here first. And so it's been a discipline for me to try and learn more about what prayer looks like and means uh, because it's not sort of my first language of conversation with God in some ways. Some people, their wiring and their disposition is immediately they think, if I got time to spend with God, I'm going to do it in prayer and conversation that way. Yeah, absolutely, that makes sense. And then last fall, as uh, we announced to the church that, that you were granted a three-month sabbatical, that was one of your intentions right away mm-hmm. was to have that be something incorporated in your own personal life yeah. and then, of course, be a growth area for our entire church was this area of prayer. So can you... Highlight briefly, Brad, yep. because we all want to eat. Uh, can you highlight uh, what, sort of, what sort of things did you learn about prayer individually yeah. and, and hopes for, for Jericho Ridge during that three-week right. time? Well, you'll hear about it over the next six weeks, so I'll put it that way to save us some time. But one of the things that really stood out to me is that survey that we took in the, in the spring, uh, the Reveal survey, has very specific questions about prayer. And so those who answered it, we actually got a very strong sense of where people's prayer perspectives lie in the life of the church. And so one of the things that came up was people were saying, I want more teaching in that area. I want to know more about prayer. Uh, I want to come to understand a little bit more. Then I took a class in the summer when I was on sabbatical in a doctor of ministry program on vital spirituality and spiritual practices. And one of the things that really I began to learn more about was prayer. Uh, because I... I'm a person that um, if I pray, usually it's kind of, I kind of feel like extemporaneous prayers that you make up on the spot from your heart are like the best prayers because those are the prayers that I grew up learning is that you pray with whatever you kind of are feeling about. And one of the challenges that came to me and one of the growth areas that I really enjoyed experiencing this past uh, summer in my sabbatical was learning to grow through written prayers and through formal and structured prayers Uh, So praying with the church. So I actually have a book of prayer. It's called Common Prayer. Um, And I read through that in the mornings and actually read some of my prayers now, which for me I thought would be horrible because I'm not a structured person. Um, But it actually has been very life-giving to me. And so it's been something that I've been learning and growing is that prayer is not sort of this monotone or singular experience. Uh, And I've been learning and growing a lot more in that in the last number of months. So one of the things you know, that came out to me in this was from Luke as I was reading through Luke chapter 11. And if you've got your Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 11, verse 1. And Luke chapter 11 uh, starts off and says, Once Jesus was in a certain place and he was praying. So he was modeling this. And after he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Just like John taught his disciples. And so it just struck me in that moment when I read that, this is towards the end of Jesus' life and ministry. And so here's a group of people that have been with him for two years uh, in the school of prayer. They've been watching him. And you see tons of examples of where Jesus prays and prays and prays. So they still, after watching and observing that for two years, they still have to actually come and ask him, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? And so sometimes modeling alone is not enough, is the thing that I took out from that. That there's actually a structured and a more formal uh, pedagogical experience that all of us, no matter where we're at in our experience with God and in our spiritual journey, um, can, can learn and can grow in. And I guess the interesting thing about this passage for me, and thinking, of course, in our time here in, in North America, and so the way that, that most of us have been raised and, and think about this is that then Jesus, at least in my opinion, doesn't seem like he really teaches them how to pray. He just starts praying. So they say, teach us to pray, and he says, when you pray, say this, and he starts praying. So 
what's happening? Because I would anticipate more of a, well, here's how you start first, Keith. You address God the Father in this particular way, and then you go through this acronym or series. But instead, he prays. So yeah. what, what do we make of this? Is he saying this is the, par- the prayer that you need to repeat, or is he doing something differently here? Right. Okay, well, good question. I think um, clearly Jesus is not giving us a formula prayer here that's to be repeated at all times in all prayer environments. Jesus himself, as you go forward in the text in the Gospels, prays many other times and in many other different ways. So clearly he's not uh, just saying, you have to use these exact words all of the time uh, in order for it to be effective in some way. Uh, What Jesus seems to be saying here is he seems to be uh, giving us a little bit of an actual teaching model through the prayer that he prays. And this has been called the Lord's Prayer, Paternoster, and many other, many other kinds of prayer uh, models or templates. That, and he's kind of saying to us, in some ways, uh, check your own prayers that you pray against this prayer to see if they match up, to see if there's, if there's sort of category cohesion that happens with this prayer. Um, for example, one thing that evangelicals are notorious for is, is we rush into God's presence and we have a list of stuff that we want God to do for us. And so this prayer gives us an indicator that, you know, actually maybe that might not be the first thing off of your lips when it comes to an interaction with God. So it's trying to help us reshape our prayer life um, and give us an understanding a little bit more of some frameworks, maybe, like a skeletal system that we may want to hang some of our own particular prayers off of. But in the same, by the same token, you know, it, it is a prayer that has been prayed by the church historically and globally uh, for centuries and is very legitimate to pray it in that way as it's written in, in the text. And we have, of course, a few versions. We have Matthew's version in Matthew chapter 6. We have the version here in Luke chapter uh, 11. Um, and we're going to just walk through some of the text here in Luke chapter 11 because it, it prompts a whole bunch of questions that ought to come to our minds when we just read the text as it, it comes to us in Luke chapter 11 here. And so just again, there's a couple ways in which you can uh, interact with us on that. If as we go through some of the text here in Luke 11, a question comes to your mind, then in your journals on page 21, there's space for you to write those questions down. So if there's a journal around you, you can grab that, you can write it down. Uh, there's index cards that are distributed all throughout the rows. And um, we'll just have the ushers come in a minute or two and wander up and down. And if you've got an index card, just wave your hand, and they'll come and they'll collect it from you. Uh, and then they'll, they'll bring it up and we can interact over it. And then you can keep questions coming uh, either via email or um, on Twitter. And you can, you can make fun of us on Twitter. People are already making fun of me for not being brief, so that's all right. <laughs> um, so just a reminder about your tweets, make sure that at Jericho Ridge appears in the body of your tweet, and then that'll get synced in with the mentions uh, section and can continue the conversation that way. So I think in Luke 11, if we look at this, um, when Jesus says, this is how you should pray, the first thing he says is, Father, may your name be kept holy, or Father, hallowed be your name. And so, Keith, I'm going to ask you a prayer question. Uh, right off the top then, is there a particular way in which I have to begin my prayers? Like, is there, is there a phrase? Is there a category statement? Is there, like, is there a right way to begin to pray? Well, for myself growing up in the church, I think yes. Because, <laughs> well, at least that was my observation as a kid, was there was a right way to begin prayers. I remember a few individuals at our church uh, this one gentleman in particular, he, he always started his prayers with Almighty God in heaven, makers of the heavens and the earth. And I thought, that man can pray. Sounds good. That's, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's how he started. Almighty God in heaven, maker of heavens and earth. I thought, that sounds really impressive. Mm. You know, that's, that's how you should begin. Uh, I, th- I find a lot of people, they'll, they'll have a, a phrase that they always use consistently. Father God. I've heard some people say Abba, Father to begin with. Um, personally, I mix it up a little bit. I haven't found the, the correct phrase, I guess, for me. Um, but I, I say this in jest a bit because I don't think that's what, what Jesus is presenting here, that there is a formulaic beginning to how you address God in heaven. Instead, it seems to be that you begin by acknowledging the fact that 
God is the one that you're addressing and that he is the one to be praised. And we talked about this a little bit last week, Brad, when you spoke on our core value of holistic worship, how you, you address God and you uh, don't begin with yourself and what you want or what you need, but you understand the greatness of God. And so I think what Jesus is doing here is saying, hallowed be your name, Father God is holy. And so when we begin in prayer, it's not with the understanding of, okay, I need to get these grievances off my chest right away. I need to petition him for all these things that I want. No, I'm approaching the throne of God and I'm speaking to him. And so I think that's, that would be my response to that question of is, if there's a right or a wrong way to begin prayer. I think as long as it begins with praise, you're in the right, you're in the right attitude and, and you understand exactly who you're speaking to. I think that's a great point to draw out from the prayers of, that we see modeled for us in Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament. Like if you look at um, set the prayer that Hezekiah prays for deliverance in 2 Kings 19, 15, and 16, uh, or if you look at Paul's prayer as he intercedes in 2 Corinthians for a church that is giving him nothing but grief and headache uh, in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 5, they always begin with praise, with acknowledging who God is. Uh, you look at uh, Psalm 100. I just wrote an article for our denominational magazine, The Herald, talking about this, that uh, we're instructed to enter his presence with thanksgiving and with praise and to honor him in some ways. And in some ways, that, that trickles down into everyday life. It might be one of the ways or one of the rationales for one of the questions we received is, why do we say grace before meals? Uh, it might be that, I mean, it can be just strictly a perfunctory thing, but it can also be a profound way of pausing and acknowledging who God is and beginning that time of connection and receiving the good gifts that he's given to us in, the, in food, uh, in acknowledging that he's the giver uh, of every good gift that we have. He's given us the resources uh, that we have. And so it's important to, I think it is important to actually ask the question, how do you, how do you say hello to God? In prayer, how do you come? What characterizes the opening part of your conversation with Him? Because your view of God will influence how you pray for the rest of that particular prayer encounter. Yeah, and I think the, the point of saying grace, praying, thanking God before a meal is a good one because uh, for many people who practice that several times a day, you're talking about, what, a thousand times a year that you're praying to God. And it can be very easy to get into a routine of what you say so that it almost sounds like you're rambling something and you aren't even thinking about it at all. And so one, one practice that Brad mentioned last week when he, we spoke, when he spoke about praise and, and how to give thanks to God was picking a letter of the alphabet and naming a characteristic of God and thanking him for that. And I think a, a similar action to take as an application for beginning a prayer for God, is to look at some of the different names of God that's given throughout Scripture. And, and you mentioned one there, Brad, and, and Jared mentioned that earlier when we were singing songs. And um, one that came to mind, because Jared mentioned uh, God being our shield, that comes from the story of Abraham interacting with God in Genesis chapter 15, and that's what God says to him. He says, don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. And just think about that. Well, if you were to address God as, say, my shield as at the beginning of your prayer. I mean, that would certainly probably be something different around the dinner table than you've done recently, and it might reorient your thanksgiving and the understanding that he's your defender and your protector and lead into praise as you begin your prayer. Mm -hmm. So um, let, let's move on to the second verse then, which has to do with your kingdom coming. And as Brad mentioned, this is the parallel passage to Matthew chapter 6. So Luke is quite brief where Matthew extends the prayer a little bit further. So Matthew's version is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if I can play a cynic here, why are we praying for God's will to be done when who are we to really stop his will from being done? I mean, God's will is going to be done whether or not we pray for it or not, and whether we really do much or not. So what's the point of praying for God's will to be done in our prayers? Yeah, there's, there's a related question to that, which we, which we received, and we'll be dealing with it more extensively on the 30th. But the question that we received is, does God need our prayers? Um, so why do we pray for God's will to be done? Well, we are instructed to pray for God's will to be done, probably because it causes us to consider what his will actually might be. 
and it brings our, our reference points and reorients our reference points uh, to what uh, actually God's will might be in a particular situation. It communicates the language that Jesus is using here is the communicating the language of partnership in prayer. Because when I pray or when we pray, we, we take the position that we want to assume an active role in the process of God's kingdom coming here in this world. Uh, Jesus' model of prayer automatically builds into it. When he says, we need to pray that your kingdom would come soon, he builds into it an expectation or a, an assumption that there is a discrepancy that exists between what God desires and wills and what currently is in existence. And so in that gap, in that place, um, we see that you know, my life, my world, is not perfectly a reflection of God's will here in this place. And so I'm actively invited when I pray, may your kingdom come, may your will be done. I'm actively inviting um, that myself into that gap, into that place of participation in what God is, is up to, to live in that gap, to act there. Uh, I think of uh, two of our guests this morning, I'm going to pick on you guys for a minute, uh, from Tanzania, uh, Gamma and uh, Vicky, who work for Under the Same Sun uh, for justice for people with albinism in, in that country and in sub-Saharan Africa. And every day, they get up and they go to work in that gap, in that place of discrepancy. God's heart, his will being done, is, is not being done in that country, uh, in, in justice and seeking truth and seeking uh, um, full personhood for people with albinism there in that place. And so they get up in the morning and they go to work saying, God, I, I am wanting to stand in the gap in that place. I want to see your heart for people with albinism and for my country and for our country and for all people uh, to take their place in, in their rightful place of personhood. And so they get up in the morning and they recognize what's on God's heart and they go to work to make that happen and make it a reality and, and participate in God's work for justice. And so when I pray this phrase, may your kingdom come, your will be done, it stirs it up in my heart and in my life again, what's on God's heart. And it invites me to speak to God and speak to others about what's on his heart. Um, if you look in your journal, uh, and there's a, there's a page on page 23 that talks about that cycle of prayer. What are we actually doing when we're participating and invited to participate in God's uh, process here in the world? And we recognize what's on God's heart. We speak to him about it and we speak to others about it. And it stirs up yet again our desire to see God's kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's reordering our perspective on life. And that's what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane yeah. in Matthew 26, 36. He said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Mm -hmm. yeah, and I think that's key because I think it's easy to pray for God's... It almost feels like a cop-out, I guess I would say. You're, you're praying about something. You're interacting with someone. Well, what should I be praying for? I, I want this and this and this and this. But you know what? Just I guess for God's will to be done is what I'm praying for. And sometimes I think it can feel passive. It's sort of, well, I guess I'll just pray for that, and hopefully that ends up being what I want. And we'll see if I get frustrated or if it happens. I don't really know what this looks like. But as you mentioned, that this reoriented of, of our perspective and to consider what is the Lord's will for that situation. And because we have Christ modeling this in the garden, I mean, it's very clear Jesus was not excited about going through the, the crucifixion that he had to endure. He didn't want this to happen, and yet you can see in his words in Matthew 26, 36 and, and following that he's in this, this time of agony and pleading, can I somehow be removed from this situation? Do I have to bear this cup? And then understanding, but it's your will and not my own, and, and I will follow faithfully if this is what it takes for me to do. I think one of the most profound or powerful verses that's influenced my thinking on prayer is Hebrews 11, 6, uh, which, which says, uh, for a person, uh, those that come to God, first of all, have to believe that he exists, it says. So my, your prayers are always a reflection of your picture of God and your theology of who God is. So first of all, if you come to God, you have to believe that he exists. And you actually may be here today, and that, that may not describe you at this point in your spiritual journey. You may be a person who says, I'm not sure about this. I'm exploring. I'm thinking this thing through. Um, you know, one of the prayers that I would challenge you to pray 
is to ask God to reveal himself to you. And not in a, not in a magic Jesus kind of way where it's like, God, if you're real, I pray that you would deposit an extra five grand in my bank account tomorrow to prove that you're real. Because Hebrews 11.6 says, He that comes to God, those that come to God, must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who eagerly seek after him. And so if you're an active explorer, if you're a person who is here today and you're saying, I'm not sure that I know if God exists or not, but I'm at least open to praying that prayer, I invite you to do that this morning. And our prayer team will be available during our response and worship and song. I want you to go over them and pray. You know what? Frankly, I don't know if God exists, but I want you to partner with me in prayer. And I'm going to pray and just say, God, I don't know if you're real or not, but I pray that you reveal yourself to me in some way this morning. And maybe that's the first prayer that you have ever prayed. Maybe that's a prayer step that you want to take this morning and say, God, I want your kingdom to come. I want your will to be done in my life, in my heart, as it is in heaven. Scripture says God earnestly rewards those who seek him uh, and if we believe that he exists. And so maybe that describes some of you here today. And so a lot of times the agnostic's first prayer is, God, if you're real, and then you fill in that blank and it can be your first step on the pathway of prayer. And I think related to that question of praying for God's will and considering what that is, is listening during prayer. And that was a comment we just received on Twitter as well, is that so often we're the ones who deliver the speech and we're so uh, in tune to what we're trying to comprehend in our minds and perhaps following some sort of model that we don't take that time to be listened and to listen and, and to quiet ourselves and to figure out how do I actually listen to God in prayer. And we're going we're gonna to do that exercise in a few weeks uh, at the end of our series in November. So uh, we'll certainly address that question, and, and our hope is that uh, that'll be a training time where we can all uh, understand what it, what it sounds like, what it looks like to hear God through prayer. Uh, moving on to verse 3, and uh, perhaps this is a verse that seems a little bit more straightforward. Verse 3 says, give us each day our daily bread. And I, I guess the point that, that seems to come across there is that God's our provider, and, and for the, the culture here in this day where there wasn't refrigeration where uh, they couldn't go to Costco and prepare food for the next month. They very much are, are ordering this prayer of saying, Lord, provide for me today. I need food to eat. I need to feed my family. I need provisions. And this comes almost on a day-by-day basis. You remember the, what the Lord did to the Israelites when they wandered in the desert. They were fed manna every single day. They relied upon that, and God was faithful. And, and so we, we see that in the prayer of saying, God, uh, supply me with my daily needs, and, and that's part of the, the supplication, part of the request. Uh, my question, though, Brad, is does this mean then that we can only pray about things that we need, uh, just our daily needs? Are there any prayers that we really shouldn't be praying about or that we can't pray about, like uh, praying for my fantasy baseball team to win the championship, which I did a few weeks ago, um, you know, praying for a sports team to win. You uh, prayed for the praying, Huskies yesterday, didn't you? Well, that was a prayer that was very well answered. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I've heard of people that pray for parking spaces, right? Yeah. Uh, they pray for something to go on sale. They pray for uh, a nice re- retail clerk so when they try to return something past the date, they will accept it. You know, like... Uh, can we pray these things? Is that a good use of our time? Will God listen and respond to it? What do you think? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, our, our daughter and I were praying last night, and uh, we were talking about how God can hear everybody at the same time. And so she, she said, so does that mean God has a million ears? <laughs> and I said, well, you know, it's not exactly like that. She said, what if one million and one people try to talk to him? <laughs> So maybe part of the question is a capacity issue, like should I bother God with, with seemingly um, inopportune or non-significant requests? Like there's so much pain in our world, there's so much tragedy, you know, um, should I really be praying for parking spaces as opposed to praying for East Africa or pray for the, the tensions in the Middle East? Like, so that, I don't know if that's part of it or not, uh, if there's anything too big for me or too little to bring to God in prayer. Uh, I was reading this last week in uh, C.S. Lewis's book, Letters to Malcolm, chiefly on prayer. And this is a collection of correspondence that Lewis had with a gentleman who asked him a lot of questions about prayer. 
And he reminds Malcolm of the fact that though we approach God as holy and though we approach God as one who is sovereign and in charge of the universe and therefore praise is an appropriate entry point into that. He says the scripture, he reminds Malcolm to say, the scripture also reveals God is very close to us and, and very concerned with all of the details of our lives. You know, not a sparrow falls that he doesn't know about. He knows every hair on our head. Uh, and so he reminds Malcolm to say, you know, sometimes thinking about is a question too big or too small for God to, to care about is almost like thinking maybe God doesn't have a million and one ears. Maybe he only has a million and can't listen to what's on my heart. And so he reminds his, and uses relational language and says, you know what, if you're in a relationship with somebody and you come to sit down and talk to them about something, if they know you well, they know if you're distracted about something. They know if you're really thinking about something else or talking uh, or something, maybe you've got a significant health challenge in your extended family and you meet with somebody for coffee. Like, you can tell that the person's not 100% there because they're, they're occupied relationally somewhere else. And, and Lewis makes the point to Malcolm to say, you know what, sometimes if we try to make distinctions between big prayer requests and little prayer requests, our minds get occupied with these things that we then decide not to bring to God because we think he couldn't be carried, he couldn't care about that, surely. And so we get distracted because we're trying to kind of have two conversations at once. We're trying to talk to God about what we think God might think is important. And at the same time, we're trying to put out of our mind the things that we think are too small or too big for us to pray about. And so Lewis says to Malcolm, you know what, just come to God as you are. Come to God with what's on your mind, with what's on your heart, and discuss it with him. Um, and so there's that kind of counterpoint to the earlier discussion about the majesty and glory of the God and why we approach him that way in prayer. We also focus on the imminence of God and his desire to respond like Hebrews 11.6. He's a rewarder of those who seek him. And so I love this insertion into the prayer because it's give us each day the food that we need. It's the most kind of earthy or maybe non-spiritual part of the prayer. Uh, sometimes we think we can only pray about really spiritual things that God has um, in his mind and in his heart. But this shows us that God cares about all parts of our lives, not just the spiritual one. So, I mean, I know a member of our extended family who prays about parking spaces all the time. And I don't know. For me, the jury's still out on that one. I'm not sure what to think about it. Uh, I, I don't personally do it, but uh, I don't know. I don't think it's a horrible waste of God's time. Um, so in the answer to your question, I don't know if there's stuff that we shouldn't pray about. I once dated a girl who would pray about every outfit that she would wear. And so, you know, this is not Melissa, everyone. I, I chose the right one. Um, but yeah, she apparently would pray and look at her wardrobe and pick accordingly. And I just always thought, well, so if you spill lasagna on it or what happens if someone else wears the same shirt, you know, did God mess up or is that you or I don't know. That's just... I wouldn't recommend that prayer, uh, but who knows? Maybe it's not an appropriate one. Um, not quite sure. Yeah. Uh, verse 4, Brad, why don't you, you go through that one? Okay. So um, the uh, next section of the prayer says, Give us the day the food that we need. Then says, And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So there's a related kind of question that's kind of right, works in tandem with this. Are there things I can't pray about? And the flip side to that is maybe, Keith, are there prayers that God will not answer? And this is an interesting question because we would like to think, of course not. Of course God would answer every prayer that we would have, or at least want to. And we, we talked about God's will, and, and I think sometimes it's easy to create this view of God of saying, well, God would like to answer that, but because he know, he's from the beginning to the end and he knows time, he realizes that this isn't an our best interest or in, in his will or his plan for this to happen. But the interesting thing is that there's several verses and instances in the Bible that are very clear in saying, no, there are, no, there are prayers. I'm going to get messed up here with my double <laughs> negatives here. Yes, there are prayers that God will not answer. And I, I think we need to remember that because it has to do with our hearts and our interactions with God. So one example mm. is from First uh, Peter chapter 3. And this is specifically speaking to husbands and wives. There's some teaching there. And he says to husbands, treat your wives with respect so that your prayers won't be hindered. Mm. 
And I think the, the, the principle there is, husbands, if you are not treating your wives as you should, if you are not respecting them and within the context of the rest of that passage, God's not going to listen to your prayers. And it's pretty incredible to think about that, that for those of us who are married, our interactions with our spouse has a bearing on how God listens and responds to our prayers. Yeah, another example of that would be from Matthew chapter 5, which is actually a part and parcel of the teaching that uh, flows into Matthew chapter 6 on prayer. And in Matthew uh, chapter 5, it gives the example in verses 23 and 24 about if you are uh, coming to worship in, in a corporate environment, you're coming to bring your gift to the altar, and God brings to your mind uh, some uh, aspect, action, or attitude that is a barrier with another person, that you are unreconciled with another individual. Matthew 5 says, before you get into all kinds of prayer, go and be reconciled to that person, and then come back and have a conversation with God. Because if there's relational tension on the horizontal, then that influences what's going on in the vertical. Uh, another example comes to this from um, uh, the New Testament where it talks about if, if, how can I say that I love God if I don't love my brother, which was a vexing verse for me as a teenager and my younger brother living at home with us. Uh, so there are prayers that God won't answer. They may be great prayers. They may be eloquently prayed, although he doesn't listen just because your words are eloquent. The scriptures are clear on that. But God may actively choose not to engage and listen to your prayer because there's a barrier that's there in that relationship, either with someone else or with God. And so God says, hey, listen, you have to get that right before we get on with this business of prayer. So then the follow-up question to that is, how do we ensure as individuals and as a congregation that we don't have unconfessed sin in our life? Because we see in this model here, and I think it's talked about quite often, that confession is a very important part of prayer. And yet corporately we do it not very often uh, because... What are we confessing for? Are we confessing prayers as a, as a congregation? And if so, uh, having someone stand up from the front and confess those right away, you know, that's quite a process to do um, spontaneously. Are we confessing individual prayers? And like, Brad, when you and I pray maybe next week, are we just going to go up there and, and confess in front of everybody? So, I mean, there's certainly a role for confession in a larger sphere, uh, but Sunday mornings probably is not that time, or if it does happen, it's more of a rare time. It seems like it seems most appropriate in other contexts. So then what, what do we do with, how do we analyze our life and make sure that this is part of our regularity when we, when we pray to God that we are confessing? Right. Yeah, I think there's a couple things that, we, that could be said about that. One is that there's a couple errors that we can fall into. One is a a hypersensitivity uh, that would be not necessarily related to unconfessed sin, but it's more guilt on my part. So I feel guilty. Therefore, I think to myself, well, I can't pray. Um, I just, God would never hear that. So there's, there must be some sin somewhere in my life. And so I pray and I scour my life and I say, God, just show me the sin. I know I'm a filthy, wretched individual. I mean, I could never come and approach your presence and, and things. God's like, just get on with your prayers. You know, we got, we got a clean slate here, Sumner. Let's move on with these things. So sometimes we err on that side. I think probably for most of us, more often we err on the side of arrogance and presumption. We just march right into God's presence and think to ourselves, all right, let's get this prayer business going. And, and God's saying, would you, would you just listen for a few minutes? I have some things I need to communicate to you. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's different ways uh, that people have pictured prayer, like, I don't know what you think about these prayer acronyms. Like, there's one that just gets me. So prayer, like P-R-A- Y-E-R. The, the one word Brad can spell. Oh, yeah. Pos they, some people have suggested prayer is positive, reassuring action yielding eternal results. P-R-A-Y-E-R. I don't even know what that means. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's not helpful at all. Like it just puts it into this sort of spin of, of uh, getting a little kind of boost spiritually in some way. Uh, but there are some actual acronyms that, I mean, I don't know how many of you have explored different acronyms in prayer, um, like ACTS or other ones like that. Yeah, you're f some of you are familiar with some of these. So, I don't know, speak to us a little bit about that, Keith. What, are, what is the purpose then of confession? Because almost always confession finds its way into those acronyms. Well, I think that's, that's what's helpful about the acronyms is that we approach prayer uh, with that understanding of, okay, I'm going to do these 
three, four, five things that are included in that acronym. So ACTS, as an example, the A stands for adoration. The C then is confession. And the, the T and the S are thanksgiving and supplication. So if you do follow that acronym when you, you pray to God, it can be helpful because you're including things that, that Jesus includes in the Lord's Prayer. And you do have a bit of a systematic approach for making sure, okay, I'm going to give God glory and honor. I'm going to examine my heart and I'm going to confess my sins. And I think that, that can be helpful. Brad and I, earlier this week, we, we looked at another acronym, which I like the ACTS one, but the challenge is, is that uh, sometimes people don't know what supplication is. I don't know what that basically means. Basically, is that's that's the me part, I guess. That's where you're asking things, <laughs> and I think it is fitting that that's the last one because it reorients our mind for for approaching God. But there's one called chat, which makes sense, C H A T, because that is a conversation with God. The C starts for confess. So right away, if you follow that model, you begin with confession, and that leads into honor, which is H. So the the honor and the glory that you're giving to God as you pray. A is for ask, and then the T is for think. So confess, honor, ask, think, which stands for chat. So that might be something that you choose to, to incorporate this week to make sure that there's uh, different aspects of prayer that you include. I, for me personally, I'll give you an example of what this looks like. I, I read a book a while ago by an uh, author named John Ortberg, and he talks about uh, whenever you're on uh, the set of a film production or a movie, at the end of each day, they go through and they look at all the footage that was shot that day because they need to make sure that they got it all. And this is called reviewing the dailies. And so they go back over frame by frame, uh, set, situation by situation, and make sure that everything that happened was what they wanted to see happening. Where there's any discrepancies, then you can correct it now before you go on into post-production. So it's called reviewing the dailies. And he challenges, uh, challenged in that book just to do that, make that a personal prayer practice at either the beginning of the day or the end of the day to take that position before God and say, God, I just want to go back over today with you. Um, anything happened today that I need to pay more close attention to that was maybe not in alignment with your kingdom coming, your will being done? And that way you're dealing with it on an ongoing basis and you don't leave it going for months and months. I mean, sometimes uh, we'll often, before we participate in communion here, we'll remind people of that. But if I let it go for a month, I got tons of unconfessed sin in my life in a month. So it's more helpful for me to make that a regular practice during the day of saying, okay, God, anything happened today that you want to speak to me about? We do this now with our kids too and ask, hey, do you think God has anything to say about your day today? Um, what did it look like? Anything that he would want to give you, either a picture or any corrective words or words of encouragement about your day? It's just a way and another tool or another reminder, another pathway uh, for prayer that can be helpful in that confession uh, matrix. Well, we're, we're going to finish with the second part of verse 4, and mm. I need to apologize because this is a bit of a, a loaded ending. This, this could be a message in and of itself, but Jesus concludes his prayer by saying, lead us not into temptation, and in, in the longer version in Matthew, and in some earlier manuscripts of, of Luke's gospel as well, that prayer continues into, but deli deliver us from the evil one. Yeah. So lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, if you, we look at this just in and of itself without some of the, the larger context and without some of the biblical narrative before and after, it seems to suggest that, that Jesus is praying and modeling for us to pray, that God is the one who leads us into temptation. So, um, God, make sure that you don't lead me into temptation because I, I don't want to do evil. I don't want to sin. Well, what's happening here in, in this passage, Brad? Well, I think, first of all, the translation that's in the New Living is a little bit more helpful, saying don't let us yield to temptation as opposed to lead us not into temptation. James 1 clearly teaches us that when I'm tempted, I should not say God is tempting me. Uh, because that's not a possibility uh, for God. So the prayer is not suggesting that God is leading us into temptation. Therefore, we need to ask him not to do that. The prayer is asking us uh, that, that we would not yield to the temptations that face us. And again, that word temptation is trials, challenges of any kind that are in the future that are going to be coming our way, which God knows about, obviously, already. And so we're inviting and asking God to prepare us and to ready us and to strengthen us for what lies ahead uh, in our day, in our week, in, in our life, the challenges that we will face. And I think one of the points that, that Jesus is making here also 
is to remind us to take seriously the fact that the Scripture says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers in the heavenly realms. And so when we pray, we're engaging in that realm, um, whether you call it spiritual warfare or whatever terminology that you use for us. And so one of the things Jesus is reminding us here is that we are going to be tempted and that we need to take the enemy seriously in prayer, and that we need to make sure, look at Ephesians 6, the, uh, the armor of God that's reflected there, and that's in your notes a few weeks from now about what we'll be looking at as to how to pray defensively in prayer and pray prayers of preparation that God would protect us from that which the enemy has for us as plans. And this is not only just individually, but corporately. It's why we pray for those in authority. It's why we pray for our church family. It's why we pray for you as members of Jericho Ridge when we get together as a staff on Thursday mornings, when the elders get together for prayer on Tuesday mornings, twice a month, we pray for you. And this is part of why we pray that we would be protected and that God would, uh, would do the work that he longs to do of standing with us and beside us. And again, this is something that we see modeled in Jesus' life. He, mm-hmm. he did this. This was a, a discipline, uh, not just in his prayer life, but in the other activities that he did. When, when he went into the desert, he knew he was going to be tempted by the evil one, and he was fasting and praying, and he was preparing for that. And then he relied on his, his memorization of Scripture to defeat uh, the evil one as he was being tempted. So, I mean, it all, it all comes together from the, the decisions and the way that Jesus chose to live, and then his prayer life, they work together. And I, I think that one verse is very helpful in John 10.10, 10, where Jesus is talking yeah. about Satan. He says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and life to the full. And so there is this spiritual battle that is going on. It's important that we acknowledge that and we prepare ourselves for it when we address God in prayer. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to be dealing with a lot of these questions, and these are excellent questions uh, that have come up over the course of our six weeks together. And so um, we wanted you to feel and know and understand that part of uh, the way in which we want to approach this is to model some of the things and some of the styles of prayer Uh, that are reflected in the scriptures and that are reflected throughout uh, the history of the global church as well. And so we'll be taking time for things like listening. We'll be doing some teaching on uh, intercession and on praying for the needs of others. We'll be talking next week about uh, what do I do when I feel like God doesn't answer my prayers? Uh, How do I deal with disappointment in my prayer life? And so we wanted to kind of put that out there, that there's many, many, many styles of prayer. Some of them are listed in the journal, and you may want to do more reading and research about them. We'll respond to some of these questions, point you to some resources. But the point of today really is to help us to understand is that getting into this conversation about teaching us to pray and inviting God to teach us to pray requires really that we think about how we view God, because our view of God will always shape our prayer life and what comes next. And so I want to um, invite you, Keith, just to lead us actually through the Lord's Prayer as we transition into a time of worship in song, which is also prayer in many ways, and the songs that have been chosen reflect that. But as you lead us in prayer, uh, then I'll just pray reflectively and invitationally and give some direction on behalf of uh, each of us who are gathered here today. And so it's this combination of corporate prayer and individual prayer as well. So I'm going to invite you to stand uh, with us as we pray. One of the things that um, can be reflected in our prayer lives is that our physical posture can ready us or it can prohibit us from praying well. That's why sometimes people suggest kneeling uh, when you pray. But as we pray today, we just want to invite you to either hold your hands out or just to close your eyes and reflect on the words that are spoken from Scripture and the invitation uh, that's given. So Keith, lead us in prayer and I'll interject our reflections. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Just think for a minute of one of the characteristics of God. Just pray that back to him. Say, God, I thank you for being my strong tower. I thank you for being my provider.
Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Just ask God to show you this morning if there's any area of discrepancy, is there any gap that he is calling you to stand in this week, in your home, in your work environment, in a call for justice in the world. Lord, give us today our daily bread. Tell God what you need. Tell Him what's on your heart. Stop putting it out of your mind and thinking, oh, God doesn't care about that. Just come to Him now this morning in, in this space and in this place and just say, God, I bring that before you. I don't know if it's legit to pray about it or not, but here I am. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who sin against us. Scripture says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Is there any areas you just take a moment to reflect that God would bring to your mind an attitude, an action, something left undone that he invited you to do and participate in, a thought, a word spoken in anger or in haste. Just take a few moments of quietness and ask, is there anyone, anything that God would point out to you in your life? And Lord, may we not yield to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God, we acknowledge that you're the one who knows the future from the past. You know the challenges that are in lives represented here in this place today and the, the challenges that are yet to come. So just invite God to strengthen you. If you're weak, this morning, you say, I don't know, I don't know if I have faith for the challenges that God's put in my past. The scripture says he'll not lead you into temptation, give you what, beyond what you can bear, but God will provide a way out. So just bring that to God this morning and say, God, I need your strength. I need your help. For thine is the kingdom yes, Lord. and the power and the glory, both now and forevermore. Amen.